Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America, across the Fruited Plain. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on my program, very happy to have you call in. Uh, I, I, I need to hijack my own show for a personal, personal moment here. Uh, beyond talking about my wife. So um, I, I'm texting a friend of mine trying to find some information. He figures one of you in the Georgia region might be able to help me. My 17-year-old will be a senior next year. She would like to get some practical experience in an engineering shop this coming summer. And I just figured I should ask because, you know, I might as well uh, <laughs> abuse <laughs> Abuse my audience and say, listen, if anybody needs like a high school kid to like, like shuffle paper for you this coming summer, she just wants some practical experience. She wants to be an engineer. I don't my, so my kid really legitimately is a great artist, uh, really is a good artist, uh, but she wants to be an engineer. Uh, she tells her grandparents she wants to make the bombs we drop on China. That That's her life plan, which I'm totally fine with that. But uh, she's working on bringing her SAT score up. It's good, but I don't think it's Georgia Tech level necessarily, but add in some intern practical experience, and that goes a long way, and she's trying to find some, and I don't know who to ask. So I figure my audience is all-knowing. Y'all might know. So now I've done my bit for family. I can move on to an important topic, Uh, one that's probably not going to get talked about a lot, and it probably should get talked about. Uh, and I, interestingly enough, the wall street journal is running two separate stories that we should pay attention to who are the happiest people in America, the happiest people in America in a wall street journal poll. Some people said they were very happy, some pretty happy, some not too happy. Uh, And there's been a vast shift in the people not too happy have now spiked 17.5%. And the people who say they're very happy have declined by 19.6%. 12% now people in America say they are very happy. Who are the people who are very happy in the United States of America? The people who go to church. They tend to be older, tend to be female, and they believe in God and go to church regularly. There's a separate story in the Wall Street Journal. A greater share of young adults say they believe in a higher power or God. One-third of 18 to 25-year-olds say they believe more than doubt the existence of a higher power, up from about one-quarter in 2021, according to a recent survey. The findings, based on December polling, are part of an annual report on the state of religion and youth from the Springtide Research Institute, a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan nonprofit. Young adults, theologians, and church leaders attribute the increase in part to the need for people to believe in something beyond themselves after three years of loss due to COVID. 
For many young people, the pandemic was the first crisis they faced. It affected everyone to some degree, from the loss of family and friends to uncertainty about jobs and daily life. In many ways, it aged young Americans, and they're now turning to the same comfort previous generations have turned to during tragedies for healing and comfort. Believing in God gives you a reason for living and some hope, says Becca Bell, an 18-year-old college student from uh, Post to Iowa. Older Americans who have faith in God, and I'm not necessarily talking the God of the Bible. I'm not necessarily talking Jesus Christ, although with older Americans, that tends to be the case. And in fact, the more one is likely to believe in Christ, the happier they poll. But there is some despair out there, even among the churched. The people within church communities who are most likely to despair are the ones, pay attention to this, this is important. The people, let, 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 well, let me segment it out this way. Americans who do not regularly go to church are more prone to depression and despair than Americans who go to church. Americans who go to church regularly tend to be the happiest Americans. People who regularly go to church tend to say they are very happy more than any other group. But people who regularly go to church and are highly involved in politics tend to be less happy than those who are not involved in politics. Now let me talk to all of you in this regard. Michael Youssef, the senior pastor at Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, was with me on Friday. Mike Pence, the former vice president, spoke at his church yesterday. I went, attended, sat with the vice president. And Michael Youssef on Friday said, you know, when the Bible talks about the end times, it talks about uh, birth pangs. And uh, what anyone who's had children knows is that the contractions become more and more frequent the closer you get to birth. And it seems like the contractions in this world are getting closer and closer. I mean, we went from, what, a decade ago having same-sex marriage being the law of the land from the Supreme Court to five years ago it was nutty, the idea of boys being able to go in girls' bathrooms, to now suddenly if you don't believe it, you're a bigot and you got to let it happen, to the Washington Post, or the New York Post, rather, the other day to the story on a thruple in California that now wants to adopt kids in the states, letting them legalize this union of three as opposed to two. Uh, the, the world seems to be going ever matter at a quickening pace, and maybe that's a sign of the end times. I don't know. I, what I do know for sure is that we have no idea on what date Christ will come. Isaac Newton predicted the year 2050 would be the year. I don't know. What I do know is I, again and again and again and again and again, have a recurring uh, encounter with people who have tried to weave their politics 
into their faith. Uh, you got a lot of people who believe in Christian nationalism. That's a concept that's going nowhere in this country. It's a waste of time, but young men on Twitter like to waste their time on these sorts of things. It's like the, the people who have these uh, intellectual, pseudo-intellectual debates all the time. They're perfectly willing to argue about Christian nationalism, something that has no chance of doing anything in this country. It's just a waste of time. Um, I encountered someone yesterday who was in despair about the state of this country. Literal despair. You could just see it on the person's face about the state of the world and the state of the, the nation, losing the nation. It, it, I I used to get asked to preach, and, and I haven't in a while, and I, and I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a talk radio show host. In the same way, I don't really care for a lot of preachers who get hyper-political. I'm sure there are a lot of people in churches who don't care for a, wouldn't want a political talk show host to come be their preacher on a Sunday. I, I enjoy preaching uh, on occasion when I get invited, but it's few and far between these days for a lot of reasons. I used to, the whole reason I went to seminary was because I kept getting asked to preach on Sundays. And then I went to seminary and a lot of these little independent Baptist churches that were asking me didn't really want a guy who went to a, a Calvinist uh, reformed theological seminary to be their preacher on a Sunday. Uh, I, I, I love the opportunities when they come, though they're few and far between. Uh, if I could stand in a pulpit and preach on a Sunday, I would preach a lot out of the book of Amos. Amos is my favorite book in all the Bible. And it was my seminary professor who taught me the prophets that, that got me to fall in love with the book. And one of the reasons I like the book is that according to a survey from a number of years ago, the book of Amos is the least likely book to be preached in an evangelical Bible-believing church because it is the book of the Bible that the progressive Christian social gospel people have embraced more than any other because it preaches a social gospel. But it is so badly misinterpreted by so many of the progressives out there uh, because it's preaching a gospel, a social gospel that tells you you got to do things in this world uh, and you will ultimately be held accountable in the next. And it begins with a judgment pronounced against all the nations of the world surrounding the tribes of Israel at the time before getting to Judah and Israel. And the point is that the God of the Old Testament is the God of everyone, whether they're with him or not, and everyone will ultimately be judged. And how you treat others in the world, the widows, the orphans, and the refugees, matters greatly. But there's more to it than that, and it is this. The people I find who are most miserable on this planet are the people who have substituted God for government. The people who have decided to make government their religion. The people who worship at the altar of politics. The people who believe they must save the nation. You can't save the nation. Now, let me be real clear here. I'm not telling you to abandon politics. You're an American citizen. You and I have the right to engage in politics. If I abandoned politics, I'd be out of a job. I'm not telling you that. But what I am telling you is that you have a greater job if you're a person of faith, which is to draw people to your faith. And I don't care what your faith is. 
whether you're a Christian or a Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, what have you. You should be spending more time trying to share your faith than share your politics. This country does not last forever. It's not a coincidence that young people during COVID looking at disaster around them have decided they need a belief in a higher power than themselves. They need to surrender. It gives you a meaning and a purpose beyond evolution, beyond an accident. It's not a coincidence the people in this country who have decided they are very happy are the ones who go to church regularly and believe in a higher power. We are at weird, odd times in the history of this country. There are a lot of people who feel like the country is slipping away. The ones who have an eternal perspective, all the data shows are happier than the ones who have a political perspective. The ones who are so busy trying to grit this nation to embrace Christian nationalism, there's some miserable, angry people on social media. They're not going to do it. They're going to fail. And in the meantime, how many souls are they going to let slip through? This nation is like a sand in an hourglass. You can't stop the hourglass from pouring out the sand and becoming empty. While souls are like scooping water from the sea, it seems futile. There's so much water, but every time you scoop them out and you let the sun shine on them, it turns to vapor, it lifts them, it leaves the impurities behind. You're saving souls more than you're saving nations. You can't save the nation. And the people who realize that they can save souls more than they can save the nation, they're the happy people in life. This isn't to proselytize. It's not to share the gospel on this news talk radio show. I'm just telling you, it's very curious. The Wall Street Journal has multiple pieces of data now. Young people are moving back to religion, and those who do find it more fulfilling and give them a better perspective on life, and they get over their depression and despair. And old people who embrace God over government and and put eternity over the here and now tend to be the people who call themselves very happy. Neither is a coincidence. Both help you to learn there are things which you cannot control in life. And when you realize there are things you cannot control in life, you surrender yourself to the things that can be controlled and give up on the things that can't be controlled and let God handle them. And it changes your perspective, changes your life. And the data more and more is compelling that if you just let go and let God handle it, you're going to be a happier person. Greetings, America. It is Eric Erickson here, 877-973-7425. There's breaking news on the Tucker Carlson story. He has departed Fox News, the Los Angeles Times, now reporting it was Rupert Murdoch himself who decided uh, that Tucker Carlson had to go. Um all in the um, in light of the Dominion lawsuit. Uh, this from the Los Angeles Times. A Fox News representative had no other details on Carlson's exit. People familiar with the situation who are not authorized to comment publicly said the decision to fire Carlson came from Fox Corporation Chairman Rupert Murdoch. Carlson's exit is related to the discrimination lawsuit filed by Abby Grossberg, The producer fired by the network last month, the person said. Carlson's senior executive producer, Justin Wells, has also been terminated. Murdoch is also said to be concerned over Carlson's coverage of the January 6, 2021 um, insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, in which the host had promoted the conspiracy theory that it was provoked by government agents. Carlson had called Ray Epps an FBI plant without presenting evidence. 
Epps, who was interviewed Sunday on 60 Minutes, said he'd been subject to, to death threats as a result of Carlson's statements about him. The decision is not related to the Dominion lawsuit, according to a representative for Dominion. However, some of the comments that Carlson had made about management and communications that turned up in the discovery process for the case may have played a role. Um, interesting that they say Murdoch uh, is the one who made the call. Carlson had been very high on Murdoch's list of people that he um, thought very highly of and had wanted him at the company. So uh, the world changes. Uh, Murdoch, it, it's also kind of interesting. Murdoch's not throwing out management at Fox, going after the talent. Uh, Bongino was out. It apparently had nothing to do with any of this other than they just couldn't come to terms on a new contract. And now Carlson today. And then, uh, um, what should we think? Don Lemon at CNN. Uh, CNN saying that they had no knowledge of the Fox situation. Fox saying they had no knowledge of the CNN situation. Some people were speculating they were done tit for tat. That's not true at all. And anybody who knows anything about the, the business obviously would know that's not the case. Uh, but it just, an odd dynamic here and big changes coming to Fox. I don't know who they'll put in that position. And yes, listen, y'all were very kind and I've gotten the emails. Uh, I guarantee you, I am not on anybody's radar at Fox news. There is no way, shape or form that would happen. Uh, yeah, they are. I would absolutely do it if my wife would let me, but I don't think that's going to happen. I do think Ben Shapiro would do a good job though. He could keep the audience young, like Tucker focus on a lot of the cultural issues that Tucker focused on. Um, but would steer clear of some of the the Trump mania and stolen election stuff that probably got Tucker Carlson into trouble. Uh, what is clear also is that Carlson on Friday did not know this was coming. Uh, he on Friday said they would be back on Monday on his show, and people who were at the heritage event he spoke at Friday uh, said it was very obvious that he did not know this was coming, so it happened over the weekend. Uh, very interesting. When we come back, i got a special guest for you, Dave McCormick, running for the Senate in Pennsylvania. Welcome back across the nation. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. My hope is that next year we can pick up a seat in Pennsylvania. My hope is my next guest will do that. But before he heads down that road, perhaps, he actually has a new book out. Uh, Superpower in Peril, a Battle Plan to Renew America. Now, you may think, well, candidates for office, they all write books. However... Uh, Dave McCormick was a U.S. Treasury Undersecretary for International Affairs, Uh, worked with the National Security Council, worked with the Department of Commerce, uh, was the CEO of two publicly traded companies, was uh, a chief executive of Bridgewater Associates. He graduated of the U.S. Military Academy, Army paratrooper, veteran of the first Gulf War. He's even got a Ph.D. He kind of knows stuff. Uh, which is why I think he'd be such a great asset in the Senate, but also an incredible voice for trying to get our country back on track. He joins me by phone. How are you? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it is very true, I think, that that you know, people who dabble in politics, that they, they write books. Many of them aren't uh, often widely read, except you have this incredible background uh, yeah, from the military to the private sector to being within the, the Treasury Department to kind of recognize we as a nation do seem to be in a state of decline that is by choice. And 
because it's by choice, we should be able to turn it around. And so many in Washington don't seem to want to do it. Uh, and yet you offer a plan to be able to do it. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I started writing the book before I ever decided to run for office. I started a couple of years ago and it was just for the same reason you said, which is that, uh, you know, the, the economy is in decline, uh, $31 trillion of debt, record high inflation, you know, the, the ability to um, grow in terms of uh, if you're born in the fourth quartile economically, the, the ability to sort of get the American dream and have your kids be better off than you is, uh, is struggling now. Uh, we're challenged militarily with China and spiritually, the American spirit and uh, basic principles that made America great, like merit and uh, and capitalism and things like that are being challenged. And so we are in decline, but decline's a choice. And so is renewal. And that's what the book's about is the plan for renewing uh, America. And we can do that if we have the right policies and the right leadership. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the policies uh, because it it has struck me as a for a while now, and your background in finance in particular. We can talk about this. I I have a real concern that for the last decade, on a bipartisan basis in Washington, uh, Washington has created a lot of moral hazard by continuing to prop up a lot of companies that probably should have gone bankrupt and allowed the creative destruction of the marketplace to pick up the pieces. And instead, we've just sustained whole industries and businesses. And now, whether you look at the Silicon Valley Bank situation or, or other things, there doesn't seem to be any recognition of the private sector that they may not get bailed out in the future, which then, of course, changes the decision-making processes and the acceptance of risk. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, the, the, the plan I outlined basically says we got to do a couple big things right. We've got to educate our people. We've got to confront China. We've got to secure America. But I talk a little bit about just what you're saying, which is the basic ideas of business and, um, and that have made our, our economy the most vibrant in the world are being challenged and tested and basic ideas of merit and fairness and incentives. And, you know, a good example uh, is, is what's happening under the Biden administration. We saw this with the student loan debt forgiveness, where it essentially is encouraging this idea that you can borrow too much money and you're not, you're not responsible for it. And, and right now, uh, the Biden administration is putting in place a new rule uh, on credit for home buyers where they're essentially saying if you're a good credit risk, you're going to raise the price to subsidize less good credit risk. And uh, again, basic principles of fairness. And that's what you're talking about. If the Silicon Valley Bank gets bailed out, well, what's happening? Well, the rich depositor with the $5 million house that lives down the road got protected. But the, but the, the guy who cuts the lawn and who's a creditor of Silicon Valley Bank uh, he gets he he gets uh, his you know the outstanding bill to him doesn't get paid, and uh, and all of us as taxpayers are ultimately going to pay for that insurance that the government gave all the banks because it's going to cost more to bank uh, do our banking business. So these these are seem like small things, but they're really big things because they're chipping away at basic principles of fairness and accountability and merit. Now, let's talk about China because it is a concern of mine that uh, I remember when I was in high school, I got to hear Margaret Thatcher give a speech and she 
mentioned that uh, one of her great regrets was giving Hong Kong back to China. She had assumed that uh, the, the British values and democratic system would essentially infect China. And instead, what she saw was this creeping authoritarianism moving into Hong Kong. And I, I, I think that wound up being so. We have for so long uh, thought we could, by trade with China, uh, keep China away from this aggressive authoritarian global vision. And yet now we see President Xi does have this vision uh, from invading Taiwan to even disrupting our lives through computer hacks and the like. They don't seem to be an honest broker, let alone anyone we should be doing a lot of business with. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely true. And there, you know, there's a bipartisan uh, consensus 20 years ago that we should engage with China economically because we get access to Chinese markets and, uh, and that engaging with us would make them a more benign player, a, a potential force for good internationally, and maybe even become more democratic. It's been a completely uh, opposite of that. And so what's happened is China has stolen the intellectual property from the United States, from U.S. companies. Uh, it has not been a fair deal for U.S. businesses. But China along the way has developed a techno-authoritarian capability to really challenge America around the world. And, uh, and that's what I say in the book, Superpower in Peril. China has a plan for becoming the global superpower, and we do not have a plan. And there's a bipartisan consensus that started under President Trump, and we need to give him a lot of credit for this, that China is now an adversary, but there's really not a plan for, for dealing with it. And, and that's what I try to outline in the book, is we need to strategically decouple. We need to become less dependent on China for things like semiconductors and pharmaceuticals. It's, it's, it's madness that we've let that happen. We need to stop U.S. investors from investing in venture, in venture through venture capital in firms based in China that do artificial intelligence work with the Chinese military or the, or the Communist Party. We need, to, we need to hold China accountable for things like COVID, the virus that started in Wuhan that we couldn't even – because we got killed in the liberal press, we couldn't even say – for three years that it probably came out of the lab in Wuhan that did research on such things. So we need a real posture for confronting China. But the other thing, Eric, that we need is we need to do muscle building at home. We've let ourselves uh, become less capable uh, with our lack of education system, uh, the lack of school choice, the lack of smart investments on technology, the lack of, of protection for our data. So we need to do work at home, go to the gym at home, and also confront China abroad. If you're just joining in, uh, I am tuning in. I'm talking to Dave McCormick, uh, who has written a new book, Superpower and Peril. If you'd like to order a copy of it, you can text the word DATA to 33777. I'll send you back a link so you can order a copy of his book. Um, one of the, the issues regarding China and the world uh, I have been a big advocate lately, and I don't think I'm the first to use the term ally source, but instead of outsourcing or insourcing stuff, it does make sense that there are um, things that we can build cheaper abroad so that Americans aren't paying the price. But it just seems like maybe we should be investing in our allies like India and, and others and even Mexico to build things instead of being so dependent on China for our iPhones and the like. And uh, it, it doesn't seem like this administration has any sort of clue of where to begin to start helping our allies that are in the third world build up the infrastructure to be able to take over capacity from China. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with that. I mean, the way I think about it is th think about concentric circles like a bullseye. In the center of the bullseye, there should be things that we need to have at home. We, we shouldn't trust anybody 
semiconductor capacity is one such thing. Some of the most advanced technologies that are critical to the military, uh, artificial intelligence, we need to do that at home. But then the next concentric circle are key allies where we can do some really sensitive things, even in technology. And the third concentric circle are, 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 are economies that we want to bring into, uh, into our sphere of influence, like India. And then the final circle would be countries like China. I'm, I think it'd be very difficult to completely stop economic activity tomorrow with China because China is the second biggest economy in the world. But if China is going to manufacture things like sneakers, um, that's not a problem for me, at least in the, in the foreseeable future. The things that we have to get out of China and out of uh, China's sphere of, influence, the sphere of influence, we can bring home or we can bring uh, into our close allies, as, as you say. And uh, we have no strategy for doing that today. And that's a key part of, uh, of the battle plan that I outlined in the book. And it's, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, first of all, I, I got to commend you on your, your your plugging the book because I interview people all the time who have books come out and they forget to reference the book. So well done on that, by the way. Uh, and folks, if, if you want to order the book, text DATA to 33777. I'll send you back a, a link. Now, I got to put you on the spot here for the future. Uh, I supported you in 2022 and unfortunately uh, did not make it through that primary. I, I just think you're a compelling fit for the Senate and – uh, I, I hope I can encourage you to seriously think about 2024 uh, because your voice is so valuable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I mean, we, we my we, my family, my wife and I decided to run in uh, 2022 because we thought the country was going in the wrong direction, and we felt privileged to do it. And when you lose by there was 1.45 million votes cast, we lost by 900 votes. Oh. So when you lose by <laughs> When you lose by 900 votes, it's not like you wake up the next day and say, "Hey, I'm not I'm not interested in running anymore." It was just a, it was just uh, you know it was just a moment in time. So, I certainly want to try to find a way to serve. There's a Senate seat uh, in 2024 in Pennsylvania, and I'm I'm thinking hard about whether I should run for that. And you know, my belief is that uh, as Republicans, we need to put um, good candidates forward. Ho- hopefully, I'd be a good candidate. But more than that, we need to put a positive vision for the future. We need to hold uh, the progressive uh, ideology of the Democrats accountable for the bad things that are happening in the country. But we need to show a vision for how we're going to fix the problems of, of Americans and well, working families in, in Pennsylvania, but around the country. And so that's uh, that's what I'm looking at is how I might be able to be a voice for taking the country in the right direction. Well, I, I really do encourage you to do it. Count me in if you do. Um, I just I, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, we need you in the Senate if we can get you there. And uh, again, folks, if you want to get uh, Dave McCormick's book, you text data to 33777. Thanks for spending some time with me. I know we hadn't met before. I, I was writing about you in 2022, trying to push people in Pennsylvania to to get you over the line. And, and hopefully next time we can, if you choose to run. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. I, I uh, spent a lot of time when I was in the Army in uh, at Georgia, where I think you are, and uh, yes. hoping to come back for a visit. Yeah, I would love <laughs> to hot, have though. you. I spent my time at Fort Benning. Oh, gosh, was, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Come in the fall, not not the spring. The pollen will kill you. The fall is perfect. Yeah, Fort, Fort Benning in July. It left a, it left a, a memory. It left oh, a memory I bet so. Sure. <laughs> gosh, thank you so much. Dave McCormick, uh, hopefully running again in the Senate in Pennsylvania, got his book out, Superpower in Peril. Uh, it would be a he would be a great guy to have in the Senate. He he really really would, and he only lost the primary by nine hundred votes, and only because Trump backed Mehmet Oz, who went down in flames. Um, it was sure close. Okay, uh, Eden Pure, their thunderstorm. Uh, it is time 
to go get your three-pack of the Eden Pure Thunderstorm at EdenPureDeals.com, and you put Eric in on the page. You know, I told you guys uh, that I, when I was traveling to Louisville last week, I keep mine in my, in my travel bag. They really are small. They're a little bit bigger than your hand. You can plug it into the wall or with a USB cord, and there was a Morgan Wallen concert. A lot of drunk people smoking in their hotel rooms. The people next to me were smoking in theirs. They got booted. But my hotel room smelled like cigarette smoke because of the people in the connecting room. And I had my Eden Pure Thunderstorm. I fired it up and left. Uh, I had like 15 minutes in the hotel room the entire day before I got back at midnight. But I enough time to plug it in so none of my stuff stunk. I got back, completely wiped out the odors. It really does work. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, you get three of them uh, for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is E-R-I-C-K. They're an air purifier, so they get rid of the dust. They get rid of the pollen. They get rid of all that stuff. But where they really shine is in odor elimination. Smoke odors, pet odors, litter box odors, cooking odors, musty odors. They just eliminate them, and it sure did help me last week in Louisville. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. Eden, like the Garden of Eden, pure is the driven snow. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code on the front page is just my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. This was not the day I expected. I got so much. I, I Well, you know, the nice thing is maybe tomorrow will be a slow <laughs> day. And... We'll be able to focus on more stuff tomorrow. Goodness gracious. Uh, you got the Tucker Carlson thing. We got the Fox, we got the Don Lemon thing. And then we got more Don Lemon. And then we got more Tucker Carlson. Just nonstop news. I'm just looking at all the stuff that uh, has been left on the cutting room floor for today. There is one I, I do want to mention to you. Americans are going deeper into debt as they use buy now, pay later apps for groceries. This is really dangerous, y'all. This is really, really, really a terrible trend uh, that a lot of businesses from Target to your local grocery store are allowing you to use buy now, pay later apps. So you do monthly, you do layaway payments essentially for your groceries. Faith Smith was already stretching her $500 monthly grocery budget as far as it could go. Then her phone lit up with an imperfect solution. She got a notification that Target would allow her to use buy now, pay later apps, which let consumers pay for goods in chunks over the course of several weeks or months. Smith was all too familiar with the buy now, pay later process. The 34-year-old administrative assistant was already using it to buy clothes and school supplies for her younger daughter. I can't just buy groceries out of pocket like I used to. She maxed out her credit on buy now, pay later, such as Afterpay, Klarna, and PayPal. It helps for a week or two, but then you're stuck with the grocery bills for a couple of months. It's a terrible idea. You should not do this for anything if you can help it, um, but particularly groceries. You know, I, I mentioned our new advertiser, Sensible, that you really – I mean, it, it is, it, it's a low fee. You can get a subscription for your kids and start teaching them financial literacy. Uh, be Sensible Smart, and it's C-E-N-T for Sensible. Uh, be Sensible Smart.com. You got to, whether it's, it's this or Dave Ramsey or something, getting your kids on a financial track young because right now so many companies are out there uh, trying to convince you to indebt yourself as interest rates have gone up 
They have every incentive to get you indebted to them. And buying now, paying later for groceries is insane. And yet people are doing it. I feel so sorry for this woman, but it's a, what a mess you get yourself in. You, you max yourself out. Share of users surveyed who report using buy now, pay later loans to make purchases. 46% for clue, clothes and shoes. 34% for furniture and appliances, 27% for technology, 26% for beauty, body, and hair products, 21% for groceries, 18% for concerts, sports, games, and events, 16% for fitness equipment, 13% for toys, 13% for dining out, 11% for travel. I would have thought travel technology and furniture would be high, but no, the top is clothing and shoes. What the heck are you people buying that you got to buy now and pay later? That's horrible. Horrible. You're putting yourself in debt for shoes. You got to get your Air Jordans. Oh my gosh. This is what a disaster for Americans uh, that, that it, it has become so easy to do this. It's such a terrible idea. Do not do buy now, pay later. Um, and kids, when you go to college, do not get the credit card. I say this as someone who took forever to pay off his. Don't repeat my mistake. Do not get that credit card. Don't do it. There's your Ramsey moment of the day from me.